Legally, I cannot tell you that a few days after I recorded this episode, cops murdered yet another unarmed black man, this time in the streets of Minneapolis. Legally, there are many things I cannot do. The contents of this podcast are important, and so is their timing, but the plans for that were made before those events. I still think that they are important, I still think that this podcast is important, but it doesn't address black struggle, it doesn't address racism. How could it do them justice, I'm white in the United States? I understand that nothing really has changed on that front either since before I recorded this. I realized that my privilege let me ignore it and focus on something else. Us white queers, us white LGBT plus folks, our privilege can blind us to our history. Black women, trans, queer, gay, led the riots at Stonewall. They were riots against police brutality. Our rights, our pride, paid for in black blood. Popular white LGBT plus culture is built on the appropriation of black language and black culture and black movements and black bodies. We have an obligation to remember that. We have a responsibility to do more than just remember, but we have an obligation at the bare minimum to do that, to respect our history, our foundation. With that in mind, I will not be keeping any money from this episode. Any person that joins my Patreon or otherwise provides me any funds at any point in the future due to listening to this episode, please let me know. I'll give those to black trans activists, and should it be within my means, match them. What's an agenda? It's a question I ask myself, and get asked, a lot. The answer is larger and more personal than a simple response can do justice. This series is an exploration of different facets of that question, a record of dialogues among transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming individuals. I hope it offers a window into our lives, to those who live outside it, and a source of inspiration and validation for those of you who can't currently live authentically in your own lives. I'm your host, Tenacity, or Temerity, or sometimes T, Granger. I use they, them, and fey fair pronouns, and we're here to take another look at answering what's in a gender. Hello, Evie. Welcome on. Hi. Should I give my pronouns? Would that be helpful? Sure, that would be great. Okay, well, my name's Evie Winters, and I use she, her pronouns. Do I need to give you more information, Tenacity? No, that's fine. That's fine. That's good. Okay, for the sake of the conversation, should I be going with tenacity or temerity? Either way. You don't need to say both at the same time, but like, if you want to say tenacity or you want to say temerity, it's fine. I'll respond to that. Okay. You do a lot of things, and I admire you greatly for that. You web developer, software developer of other sorts. You run one of the most important Facebook groups I think is around, to be honest. And, and I guess I just recorded myself admitting to that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. We have that for posterity. Yeah, yeah. And let's see, you're, I, I think you qualify as a YouTuber now. You've done this a couple times, so I feel like two, two is enough, right? Yeah, that makes me a YouTuber. Yeah, that's a lot of things that you're doing. And also the writing. Yes. Um, and I'm a columnist. <laughs> oh, right, I forgot. <laughs> so there's a bit. And also, um, when I'm not doing those things, I am doing um, not-for-profit work regionally. Yes. In Maryland, specifically, I, I try to be like local because I'm one of those people that genuinely believes that all politics is yeah. local. And so I do a lot of like advocacy work in and around my community yep. um, directly. Yes, it's important. Which is sort of like just adjacent to the DC region for people who are like need a context there. 
So what we want to talk about, well, what I wanted us to talk about, and at least start with, is sort of interfacing with the internet as a trans person. Mm-hmm. Uh, trans education, trans safety in online spaces. Also, goodness, yeah. hopefully to talk a bit about the differences in our approaches, because we've, we've spoken about this before. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting to sort of discuss the different ideas. Like, for me... Well, my impression of your approach, of the TransEDU approach, is very much sort of an experiment on what happens if we're extra nice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I mean, it's more than that, and I I understand that. But whenever I'm like on a very emotional level, when I think about it, it's just sort of like, be extra nice to people. Be like super forgiving of the stuff you can be and obviously there are lines that even that can't cross and i think you do a good job of um saying that up but i just why don't you tell me a bit about your philosophy of moderating that group specifically the sounds like transgender oh my gosh i mean i think that i don't think i would use the word nice um (laughs) And and the reason I don't feel nice is because sometimes I'm not nice. How do I want to put this? Like, I try to be kind and with a sense of empathy for where a person is starting. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. yeah. I genuinely have a lot less patience. And, and this is just something I've noticed in me. I have a lot less patience for legitimately, like, a trans person that comes into the group who has, like, really violent ideas. Mm-hmm. Than I would for a cisgender person who has that because a transgender person has been through the ringer. Like a trans person would know or would at least have been exposed to enough information to know that's... better. Um, and and so, yeah, like, I mean, but like, that's so like, that's my intuitive response to that is like, okay, but you, you should not need to be told this one, you know, this like basic level human thing about trans people because, you know, you've been... Trans, and it's mostly binary trans people. Yeah. And if I can be perfectly honest, it's mostly binary trans women yeah. wow. who like really get my gird up this way because they tend to be the trans medicalists. Yes. Okay. So I just, that's fascinating because I have way more patience for trans people than I ever do for cis people. I am willing to like have a conversation with a trans person way past the point where I've been like, you're cis, go away. <laughs> So like, but like with a cisgender person, I have a reasonable belief, 95% of the time I'm accurate, that they've just never been exposed to this information. And it's very new to them. Yeah. Whereas with, and, and so people are resistant to new information. They just are. Like that is how people are. Like you can take a horse <laughs> of water, but like does it drink, right? They need repeated exposure and their first exposures to that information are hopefully something that they can digest. Yes. I try not to make that spicy. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, am I nicer to them? I don't know. I feel like whenever I think about nice, I think about like nice guys, like incels. Yes. And I'm just like, that's not the thing. I'm trying to genuinely be kind and empathetic and meet people where yeah. they're at. And, I mean, and nice and kind are two different things and neither of them are the same as good. And yeah. Yeah. And like I do try to be kind, and that's the Buddhist in me. And I don't think I, I genuinely do start off with a belief that people want to do well by other people. I don't think anybody like starts their day out like I really want to be the villain in trans people's story. I think they start off their day with a story about victimization or impending victimization, right? Like most of the people who are afraid of me 
are not really afraid of me. They're afraid of a story they've heard about trans people. Usually. And so I try to be patient with that. And I try to encourage that patience because I feel like a lot of people, as long as you never let them get on the defensive, as long as it's never an I'm against them and they're against me, then there's no reason for them to trench in. Yeah. And And I mean, I respect, I, I hugely respect and appreciate that a group exists where that is the goal. And I think, I think it's not just you. I think all the admins of that group do a good job of expressing that that's the expectation that people aren't going to be on the mm-hmm. defensive. And regardless of my personal feelings about general spaces, I think mm-hmm. having specific spaces like that is important. And I don't know how well they work, but I think it's worth mm-hmm. giving a shot. And the fact that everybody in that group chose to be there. I don't I don't recommend mm-hmm. this group to all my In fact, I probably don't recommend this group to most of my trans friends because it's exhausting it's a lot of work yeah but um it's just heavy emotionally i mean i mean you've been on the wrong end of it a couple of times but like (laughs) yeah it happens one thing i noticed the last few days you've been making heavy use of the um, be really careful where you're going with this oh proceed with yes proceed with caution (laughs) and i think that's Mm -hmm. that's a really great i i love that concept. I think there's a give and take to, to education on trans topics. On mm-hmm. the one hand, someone yelling at you because you screwed up, as much as that might be satisfying to, for them, and as much as that might be pressure to not do what you just did again, it doesn't tell you much about why. So even if you're mm-hmm. open to it, that's not helpful. And I'll admit, a lot of people become less open to it because of that, of course. And mm-hmm. so there's that thought that if we... If without putting them on defensive, as you said, that helps. But I think the res- there's a responsibility for the listener in that this is work, and you need to put in work into this as well. And the work you need to put in mm-hmm. is that caution, is that I know that I don't know things, and mm-hmm. I need to be ready to receive information. And mm-hmm. I need to be ready to apologize when I do something inappropriate or uh, unacceptable Mm. and i think for the most part people do engage in that spirit in the group and that's good sometimes they have to be dragged into that spirit (laughs) i think you saw the thread yesterday and and we can post a link to it not that most people could see it but just to give a synopsis the premise was about disclosure oh yeah um, I mean, that conversation, and, yeah. that conversation's all the time. We, we don't need a specific link for that one, but yes, I understand. Yeah. Well, there was a specific man in that thread. It was a cisgender man. And I don't know if you saw my interactions with him, but like my patience with him wore pretty thin. And I think he saw that. Yes. And then started to kind of like soften up because like, yeah, how do I want to put this? I think most people who are dealing with me, whether they know me or not, realize that I'm giving them a lot more leeway than most people would. Yes. I think that's partly the Facebook environment. Because mm-hmm. I know. So I'm going to talk a bit about my own administrative Facebook administration experience. I don't mm-hmm. administer any trans-specific groups except for my photo journal, mm-hmm. which was me taking pictures of my boobs every day <laughs> until Facebook started to remove them automatically. Sure. And that was just people I had literally like knew and invited personally. So mm-hmm. there really wasn't a lot of moderation to do on that one. I removed one comment. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked something and I didn't really feel like unpacking stuff about gender. 
I didn't feel like unpacking it because I was, I know it wasn't meant maliciously. It was just phrasing that I didn't like. So I just like removed that, but that's the only thing I've removed from that group the whole time. Mm -hmm. But in more general cases, when I'm administrating like larger groups, I am doing that from a place of, I am representative of this group rather than myself. So I have a lot more patience in any group I'm an admin in purely, purely because I'm the sort of person who has, as you have seen, would would love to just give like snarky replies and sort of mm-hmm. ask questions such that I'm forcing the person to respond in a way to, uh, I mean, I'm baiting them. I, uh, a lot of time this isn't intentional on my part, but I'm baiting mm-hmm. them into doubling down or apologizing on something mm-hmm. that's just kind of my my general default. But when I'm in an administrative role or even just in a role where I've become a more prominent person in a group, I try to dial that back because I don't necessarily think that's a good position for someone in power to have. Sure. And I think that comes down to sort of like mixing authority with something like that. Because when I don't have authority, if I bait someone yeah. out, then it's like, okay, you, you took, you don't you don't need to respond to me. You can not respond. And there's there's no expectation mm-hmm. of responding to a, just a random person in a Facebook group. But when you've got somebody with, mm-hmm. the, with the admin badge or the moderator badge in that group, there becomes an expectation where like, okay, this, this admin or moderator is talking directly to me. I need to answer. And I think that puts different pressure. Yeah. And I still do occasionally do like a, a baiting thing, but it's a more intentional just trying to draw someone out to make themselves explain rather than just make them look like a fool mm. and that's a that's interesting yeah tell me when you because i do have thoughts on that yeah no go for it go for it okay because like you and i have very different models of like what it looks like to be a person in power yes <laughs> um it were in power like okay i run a <laughs> group not a country like and and, like, I know some people have accused me of being, like, somewhat tyrannical, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> because, like, on the other side, people accuse me of not being nearly forceful enough. Um, every every time someone every time someone calls you a tyrant, I'm like, who did they think you are? Me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. And, um, but it is interesting, because, like, my administrative philosophy, and this is probably why I should not be allowed to admin large groups, I don't know, is very much, like... I think it's a coincidence that me being a Buddhist <laughs> helps me be a decent moderator because, like, I don't change roles in that way. Like, when I'm administrating a group or when I'm out in the comments section elsewhere, I'm going to use the exact same tone. Yeah. The only difference of me being in a group is, like, okay, but I also have an additional responsibility here, and that responsibility is to protect the people in this group and the educational environment. Oh! Um... And, like, I don't view that as, like... Yeah, sorry. I, I, yeah, I don't dial back. Yeah, so I think that's a huge a huge difference. Because I am not moderating. My, my trans identity isn't the topic of most of the groups I moderate. Oh, yeah, that's so hard. Whereas I am either moderating a space that is only LGBT plus people, at which point my trans identity sometimes comes into it. But for the most part, people in the LGBT plus mm-hmm. community are decent with trans people, especially people who have voluntarily joined a group that specifically is inclusive 
of trans people. Right. They tend to not cause huge problems, and most of those groups have entry questions that are very strictly held to with gender and trans identity stuff like, mm -hmm. how many genders are there? And if you answer wrong, you're not in the group. You don't yeah. get there, and I never have to yeah. deal with them. So there's those groups. And in those cases, they don't actually require all that much moderation, to be honest. I just sort of approve posts and people when that happens. Yeah. Then there are the groups like I'm a moderator for D&D DMs only, which has 50,000 people, mm -hmm. which that's the biggest one that I'm in. I'm not an admin for that, thankfully. So I can kick some of those sure. issues up sometimes. But that one gets way more complicated because I have intentionally made myself out as trans in a sort of public way in that group when I can. So when mm -hmm. gender issues come up, I specifically turn on notifications and turn on my attention onto that. But my goal is not education, it is protection. I am there to protect trans and other individuals, of course, but like my mm -hmm. focus is on the marginalized groups that I am a part of or that I know I can protect. So I focus on mm -hmm. things with bisexuality and with trans identity and non-binary identity. I focus on those because mm -hmm. they're mine. Also, I focus on stuff like race and things like that just because there isn't enough focus on that across mm -hmm. the board. So I'm not, when I when I come into those areas, my goal is not to educate at all. It's to tell people, it's to draw a line and say, you can't cross this. Do not do this. And that's a very mm. different goal because those groups aren't about mm. education. They're about people talking about how to run a D&D game or Pathfinder or whatever. Mm. So I think my goal in moderation becomes completely different because I'm not trying in those scenarios. I'm not trying to educate. I don't care if they learn. I just care that they stop making other people in the group feel unsafe. Right. I can see that. Whereas in an educational space, I think inherently educational spaces can't be safe fully. Mm -mm. And I want to explain that a bit more. In the TransEDU group, I joined that group with the understanding that it would well, when I realized what it was, at first I was a little confused, but when I realized sure. what it was, that it was an educational group, I, I stood back, stepped back and was like, okay, this group is not a safe space for me as a trans individual. That's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point of this group is right. to allow cis people to stick their foot in it, and then we will show them, hey, your foot's stuck in it. This is how you pull your foot out, and here's how to not do this again. Yeah. By its very nature, we're inviting triggers, we're inviting oh yeah. an unsafe environment from a trans perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay, because it's a voluntary group. This isn't some government-enforced, everybody must be here. No one has to interact with this, that they don't have to. And that's vitally mm -hmm. important to me. And the, the interesting thing about that is that it's the important thing for an educational group, though, is that it can only be unsafe in the things it is educating on. In every other aspect of marginalization, it has to be kept safe. So things like race and stuff like that. And that's why I think we end up with the topics that we're not... Half, uh, I, Warren, I'd say like half the topics that you aren't allowed to discuss in that space that are banned topics. Well, I mean, you can discuss them, but only in the you know, the, only in a specific thread. Yeah. I think half of those are because they uh, run into abutments in intersectionality, where it's stuff like pansexuality and bisexuality, because it's a trans space, but those start touching on sexuality rather than gender identity. And mm. the assumption is we're teaching on gender identity right now. We're teaching on trans issues, not mm. sexuality issues. So people who are, I mean, yeah, they're, 
we can educate on all of them, but my point is that people come into the group, we all agree we're going to be okay with some level of testing our boundaries on safety mm -hmm. with regards to being trans. But not everyone in the group is expecting a sudden thing to come up about bi or pan discourse or stuff like that. And I think that's why those tend mm -hmm. to be such hot topic stuff. It's like the NB thing, because the issue with that isn't a like non-binary people. Mm -hmm. It's not them who's being hurt by that. It's non-black. It's, it's black folks. Mm -hmm. It's that sort of thing. And I think the way that it felt unsafe for certain people in those conversations wasn't... It, I mean, it may or may not have been safe from a trans perspective, but it was also unsafe from another perspective that they did not expect to be unsafe. And so they were blindsided by that. And I think mm -hmm. that's why those sorts of conversations just blow up in ways that other ones don't. They are... Um, there's a lot that you said right there. <laughs> <laughs> um... So concerning the like NB, NB, ENBY, mm -hmm. and like non-binary thing, I mean, what it really comes down to is like, because I had, I'm a collector yeah. of information. That is the way I do things. And so as soon as I see something come up that I don't understand, my number one thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to run out and collect everything I yes. can find about it. And I did so with the NB slash non-black acronym, as well as NB, ENBY. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just spelling out non-binary. And, like, ultimately, the conversation was very interesting. And is like, I had talks with a lot of, like, Black people. Just, like, straight up. Like, fortunately, I'm really, really good friends with a lot of, like, hard-line, dyed-in-the-wool Black activists. Helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like, need more of that in my um, life. I live in a very white area. Uh-huh. Yeah, Boston's interesting. Like, there's this, like, big connection of, like, not just, like, Black people, but, like, black people who are really out there putting out like arts and culture mm -hmm. and so like they're very ear to the ground on these kinds of things so i like touch base with them and half of them are like what are you talking about like, ultimately like the safe thing for me to do is not engage in that conversation yes as a white person but like i think it's the thing that i picked up on is like that's a conversation that's happening yeah but i found yeah. it really fascinating just like how not monolithic these things were but they were presented with like a force that's like no you don't say that but i i think that was actually i like those discussions because i feel like when those flare-ups happen <laughs> they demonstrate the value of the group yes like because it could go like that when you make a mistake and i'm glad it doesn't most of the time and i'm glad that even folks who are harmed inadvertently by language in the group are often willing to like reach out first there's not an assumption of maliciousness yes. which i appreciate very much because usually if somebody just comes to me and says hey i have a problem with this like we take care of it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah we just spell it out as a matter of course in the group now and just as a style guide item we're just like no just write yeah. it like that's the safe thing to do just write it yeah and i think i think there's a lot of a lot of that and I'm I'm also super sensitive about particularly black English and co-opting of like cultural expectations. Mm -hmm. um, I try to be super sensitive, I should say, because uh, I am white and obviously sure. I, I miss things. Um, but I try to be pay really attention, pay a ton of attention to that, and basically enormously lower my bar for people telling me not to do something into me not actually doing it and i think yeah. and that's largely because of how much of queer culture has co-opted black queer culture or black culture oh my gosh it's so yeah nice. it's enormous and it's 
terrifying. And actually, I really, at some point, I'm really hoping that I can do an episode where I don't really say much and I just get some people on to talk about the intersection of black, brown, indigenous, person of color perspectives and non-binary, gender-conforming, trans perspectives and just get people onto a show to, to talk about that because... Well, I have some names for you. What? I said, I have names for you. I will hit you up for that at some if, point. If you want them, I think. Just because I think, I mean, this show's mostly me, a white trans person, talking about trans issues from a white perspective. And while mm-hmm. some of that applies to other people, a lot of it doesn't. And that's... And that bugs me. Mm. It's actually bugged me through the recording of each of these episodes. I keep walking into situations where I'm like, I don't know who should be talking here. And really the answer should be someone else should be telling me who should be talking here. Sure. Anyway, so so I try to stick to stuff I know. But oh yeah, that's the that's the other thing Mm -hmm. how this comes up. So segueing a bit, I am expected in so many different online spaces, mm-hmm. as soon as I reveal the fact that I'm trans, I'm suddenly expected to represent mm-hmm. trans people, regardless of what other intersections those people may have. Like I'm bi and non-binary and gender fluid, and a lot of trans people don't have anything like my experience with trans identity. Like when I was a kid, I didn't think I was mm-hmm. trans. I didn't like peep. I mean, a lot of people don't necessarily think they're trans, but you hear stories about people like, oh, I was very young and I knew I wanted to be with this other group of people, but I wasn't allowed to because uh, my gender was, and I didn't have those moments for the most part. Mm -hmm. I look back and I think, was this dysphoria and stuff like that? But it's not, I don't have those clear moments that you hear in a lot of, particularly binary, I think, trans people. Like mine. Yeah, because I remember remember you talking about this before. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. yeah, I just, so I feel it's strange because I get into these situations where I need to be representative of trans people in a larger space than I really am, particularly when I'm moderating as a trans person. And so that's part of the reason why I like the Sounds Like Trans EDU group so much is because I can get those perspectives from other people. I've definitely modified my conception of transsexual as a word because of that. Mm. I used to have a lot more negative feelings about that than I do right now. I mostly think that that's a word cis people shouldn't be using unless requested, but trans... It's an interesting yeah, word. Like, if a trans person identifies as transsexual, I don't really care at this point. It's not... I think there is maybe something to unpack in that, depending on usage. Some people use it in different ways. Mm. But to be honest, mm-hmm. that's... I, I don't really care. A trans person using that for yeah. self-identification, go for it. More power to them. There's there's mm-hmm. any minor issues I have with it. I have way bigger fights to have. I don't have the energy for that. Yeah. I try to do a gut check when I see somebody do, using that word, mm-hmm. like a trans person. Because like in my experience, there are two types of people who actually use that word. Yes. Knowingly use that word. A lot of people use it just strictly because like that's the word they knew. And so like my baseline assumption is do they understand? Like my baseline assumption is like my baseline check, I should say. Yep. is like I need to make sure they understand the word. But then... On the other side of understanding, I found two big groups of people who use this. There's one group of people who use it as an identifier, like you said. Well, I mean, they both use it as identifiers, but, like, the people... There's a group that, like, favors accuracy in their language. And, like, these are very specific people who are like, No, this term applies to me because I have done Mm -hmm. these things. And this is my way of communicating that I have done these very specific things, that I have medically transitioned Mm -hmm. in these ways, or plan to. Whereas, I think they almost look at it as like an umbrella term situation, like they recognize that they are transgender, Mm -hmm. but they would also say, I'm transgender, and 
this more specific word transsexual is the word I'm going to use. I think the most notorious, I don't want to say notorious, but the most hmm, popular person I know who still uses that word is Natalie Wynn. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I have... I have mixed feelings about Natalie Wynn. I can I can go into it if we want. Most people do. Uh, yeah. I'm positive on Natalie's work. Yes. I think depending on where you're standing, her words can be very problematic, but I don't think her effects can possibly be misconstrued. Yeah. Like the results she gets are yeah. very clear. She does do um, rad. That is good. I'm going to let her do her thing and I'm not yeah. going to interact with it is basically what I do. Because every time I interact with it, I'm like... <laughs> Yep, and then there's like, and then there's another group of people who are basically trans medicalists, and then that group of people are the ones where I'm like, okay, now it has become my responsibility to watch yes. you. Yes. <laughs> because like, I, you know, like honestly, a lot of the bigger problems in the trans community are like a lot of the misinformation that comes out now, like comes from a few different sources. But one of the ones that deeply frustrates me is misinformation coming out of the trans community. Yes that is intentional mm -hmm. and trans medicalists do a lot of that and i find it deeply frustrating and that's just like one more reason like my patience with a trans medicalist person is much lower than a cisgender person because the cisgender person might not know better yeah but a trans med person yeah. does i guess you know? i guess the reason i have more patience for trans med trans people is because i feel like those are some of the people who also have, because a lot of the trans medicalists, they they harp so hard on dysphoria and on changing their bodies. Mm -hmm. And between the gates that are kept from allowing trans people to change their bodies being so high, so hard to get through, so much work, especially in the UK right now, but just across the board, oh God, it's yeah. very difficult in some areas. I was extremely fortunate with where I live to not have to deal with that. But there are people who wait years and years and some who never get the ability to, to move across, to, to get their, mm -hmm. their medication, get their medical treatments, get their surgeries, things like that. Oh, yeah. Brutal. And the effect year after year of that is enormous. Mix that mm -hmm. with, I think, severe dysphoria than average. I mean, that's just my hypothesis, but I don't, I don't know. I, I just feel like a lot of trans medicalists are hurting and they're trying to legitimize trans, a, a specific and somewhat problematic viewpoint, but a strong and well-defined mm -hmm. group of trans people, yeah. they're trying to legitimize that within the public perception so that people like them don't have to suffer. And as much mm -hmm. as it... And there's a certain thing to be said for that too, which is just like, as much as the power dynamics are very mm -hmm. frustrating in general, which is just like, at the end of the day, like, cis people's opinions do matter. Unfortunately. Yeah. Right? Like... Yeah, like, they just do. And, like, that's just the dynamic, and that's being realistic about it. And so, like, there is a certain amount of, like, I'm going to tailor my message to something that cisgender people can accept. Yeah, because I think... That I, that I get. Yeah, it's way easier to explain to a cis person the wrong body narrative than it is, like, what's actually going on with a lot of trans people. Mm -hmm. There's... Uh, I'm reminded of... There, there are several countries, Czech, UK, stuff like that, where non-binary people basically can't get medical transition because of the barriers set in place. Mm -hmm. And that's because those barriers are all about sort of a binary, well, you're this is wrong, so we have to let you fix it. Whereas non-binary, it's like, well, there's nothing to fix it to, so you, you're not real. You're, you're yeah. And like, as a non-binary person, that hurts 
ton to me and like mm. I, I don't know how to deal with that but I can imagine someone a transmedicalist coming into that perspective and being like well I agree that those people aren't real because it's like I know what I'm feeling and I could never if I didn't feel this strongly I would never do this mm. that sort of thing and I think I just think it's built out of pain and I feel sorry I mm -hmm. I mean yeah I get angry at transmedicalists but largely I just feel sorry for them because clearly well transmedicalists trans people specifically true scum I'm talking about yeah. not not transmedicalists but like transmedicalists trans people I'm just like you clearly have been so hurt by people not respecting you mm. and you're doing everything you can to create a definition that allows you to exist as you need to be that gets you where you want to be and like that it hurts to see people like that and it hurts to see how we're tearing each other apart because of that mm -hmm. it's it's painful like i have a profound empathy for that experience as someone who like also lived through that for you know mm -hmm. a decade or two like that place and i i mean full-blown like when i was first starting to come into an awareness about these words and about my body and about my life like when i was starting to like develop the language for that like the first words available to me were very mm -hmm. transmedicalist yeah. but this would have been in the you know early 2000s so there was not a lot of like language re non-binary identities anyway yeah but like i look at people's words in like the power that they have to mm -hmm. inflict harm frankly when a cisgender person speaks about trans issues unless there's somebody in a position of authority nobody really yeah. listens to them cis people want them to shut up and trans people can correct them or so we like, also want you to shut up it's me me i want I mean, them i would also i would love for them to be saying the right things like <laughs> honestly, the loud people are the ones i really want to talk to the most the ones who are like very loudly and somewhat problematic like, i mean like that other person that we were talking about the other day who was like provocative in very public spaces uh, but is also cisgender i think and but like that person i have like those people are like my favorites because like they can whenever you get them to a place where they realize they are equally loud about that yes and they speak my words or the community's words and so they're way more effective just as people but like when it comes to a trans medicalist i'm like you have an authority to speak on trans issues and you are yes. misusing it absolutely and so like i'm not angry at them there are very 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 few people that i get angry at but my patience with them runs out because my boundaries for them need mm -hmm. to be different. Because, like, my goal, especially in the education group, is to make sure that cisgender people who are reading that are getting good information. Yes. And when somebody, like, pops into the comments and is like, oh, I'm trans and here's some nonsense, <laughs> that is way harder for me to deal with than a cis person where I'm like, no, this is, you're wrong. And here's why for a trans person, it's like, no, that's their lived experience and it's their pain. So like, I find myself in the weird position of like dictating the, the boundary line at which point their pain has taught them something yeah. incorrect. And that's, that makes me very uncomfortable. But like, I have an empathy for it because most of them are binary and yeah. so am I. Yeah. Um, and so I can navigate that a little better. I don't know if I know any non-binary trans medicalists. Like, or even know of any. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's gotta be some. Like, there's always weird intersections you don't expect. I do. I know a few, actually, who are very interesting people and almost universally agent. Ah, uh, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They tend to be very, very logically oriented people, very strict in terms of definitions and their need to understand things. So fluidity is not a concept that they feel comfortable mm -hmm. with 
And like, there needs to be a lot of like documentation for them. I mean, like we see it in agender people who are not like that too, who are just like, wow, I really don't grok yeah. this thing. That I mean, happening. I don't grok the thing um, that's happening and it's fucking happening to me. So, so what, how do I expect yeah. them to understand? I've spent, I mean, you've seen what I've done. I have spent mm-hmm. pages and pages and pages just trying to pick apart what happens in my life with regards mm-hmm. to gender. And I'm not there yet. So expecting everybody to get it immediately I think is is difficult i guess i guess my mm-hmm. goal is to reframe it about you don't need to understand in order to accept like mm-hmm. understanding is good understanding is a good goal but understanding is not necessary for acceptance and as long as someone mm-hmm. feels they have to understand in order to be able to accept they're going to hurt people that is my first rule for cis people in the group is like I expect you to come here with like open palms ready to accept information and like you don't have to you know think of it like a buffet you don't have to eat it all at once but like come to the table hungry and with a willingness to explore and with the belief that what you're getting is nourishing you don't need to understand it you need to try i mean that the horse you were leading to water the the earlier analogy that water can be a fire hose and it's and and like it can be Mm -hmm. violent yeah Sometimes. And, and, and sometimes it can be violent in the group. I found that the less a person types in their original post, the more likely the response is to be violent because people have less to like latch on to for like educational opportunities. And so they default back yeah. to like getting mad. Yeah. So I feel like we should probably like, navigate to a different topic <laughs> or else we're never going to. <laughs> all right. All right. We can. We can. All right. So the other thing I want to talk about related to gender and internet is... We're in a massively different time. We are mm-hmm. experiencing a world of an internet age where we're not going outside very often. Well, people are going outside, but we're not interacting mm-hmm. with each other except through the internet and very specific interactions that we limit as much as possible because of coronavirus. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think the impact specifically the intersection of the impact of that on trans experiences has been really interesting to see because there is stuff that, I mean, it makes sense in retrospect that I didn't even occur to occur to me. And I think that's true across the board, not just for trans, but like everyone is mm. seeing impacts from this. So like, oh, that makes sense, but I totally wouldn't have expected it. But I mm. think like for me, I know the day before, actually the same day, the same day I got told at work, go home, don't come back until we tell you to. The same day I got mm-hmm. told that, I went to my doctor and to get a recommendation for where to go for a laser or electro and get a consultation there. Mm-hmm. That hasn't happened, mm-hmm. obviously. And yeah. that's been a huge struggle for me because I was like, it took me a long time to even get to the point where I I could say, I want to do this. Because for a long time, I was sort of like, I kind of want to have a feminine body, but still have the ability to grow facial hair. And there was mm-hmm. stuff I was still unpacking and trying to figure out with my non-binary self. Sure. Where I'm like, I wanted long-term, but non-permanent. And I just, that wasn't really possible. And the dysphoria kept building as I was... <laughs> That dysphoria cascade, you know, when you fix one thing, you're like, oh, my body's starting to look more oh, like I want. No. Where the fuck did all this hair come from? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I genuinely believe that like dysphoria is like it's a bandwidth yes. issue. It's gotta be. Like, you just process whatever's first in yeah. the queue. And then you get to the other thing behind it, and you're like, oh, this is so much more than I thought yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, it's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, every, uh, Almost every trans person I know has described it in that way. So I think mm-hmm. it seems... 
Yeah. But anyway, so I've been struggling with that, with, with the, the body hair thing from my perspective, because I can't mm-hmm. go to a dermatologist and have them look at my skin and be like, hey, what do you think is best? Mm-hmm. There is growth in telehealth, but I already have weird issues with medical stuff. I try to, mm-hmm. it's hard. ADHD combined with some bad experiences in the past, not saying too terrible, but still not great. And I just... Sure it's always out of mind so i never really reach out so the telehealth mm-hmm. is is tricky for me and so i can't I haven't done that and not having the body hair thing i've been waxing up until now not my face but like body and stuff i had been doing waxing that was actually mm-hmm. really helpful i really liked that um i liked how i looked after that mm-hmm. i can't shave my chest i get i break out and really painfully when i try to Oh, you and I need to have a chat about this. I All have right, advice for right. you. But but no. my uh, but waxing worked fine without too much trouble. Mm-hmm. But I can't wax in this either, so I don't have a way to remove my body hair. I've actually just ordered a new razor, hoping that I can like an electric one mm-hmm. to hopefully shave without uh-huh. causing the problems. And mm-hmm. and anyway, so I'm just so I've been slowly as the months have gone by, I've like slowly been looking at myself and being like, I hate this. It's not important, but I still really hate it. Like it's important. In in a sense to me but i also know it's like i'm not gonna die because i got hair on my chest like that's not gonna kill me that's not that's not i i spent 20 26 years with hair on my chest nothing's different now mm-hmm. it's fine but my brain sees it and it's like well you've dealt with the other things and now and when you finally accepted that this was a thing you wanted to get rid of you can't now and that's just you can't yeah, undo that, yeah. it's just ah it's it sucks <laughs> it just sucks <laughs> But I mean, mine's a minor example. We've seen cases, I remember a very difficult one, not gonna give too many details, but basically somebody who hadn't, who had their surgeries canceled. And these are life-saving surgeries. They're not urgent in a sense. They're like, you're not gonna die instantly, but trans people are taking their own lives because they cannot get the treatment they need to exist in their body. And Mm -hmm. this is... I think delaying some of those yeah. treatments so uh, i was just wondering your thoughts on that more generally before. i mean I, I think maybe we're both talking about the same person re delayed surgery yeah. from the yeah. group yeah that was brutal i ended up talking with them privately which is like oh gosh yeah. that was so much. i don't want to um, touch too much on details of that particular incident though because yeah yeah no i i'm i'm just like i'm just like reprocessing that moment um but like it's been like, oh gosh, I don't want for this. Like, my laser procedures were delayed up until very recently. Like, they mm-hmm. just restarted with kind of a limited rollout. They just realized that my case is somewhat urgent. Yep. I'm in, like, the category of pseudo-cosmetic, which is like, no, this really sucks. But also, a doctor didn't demand it for me to mm-hmm. have surgery. So, like, it's technically cosmetic. Yep. But, like, when they have an opening, I'm their first call. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I, I'm really blessed. Oh, goodness. I mean, I think... The quarantine is doing a number yes. on a lot of people. I know in my personal experience, and I wrote a bit about this, like one of the things that I've noticed was like pre-transition, I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be around people. So to be online all the time was very comfortable for me. And the written word was very comfortable for me. But as part of my transition, I'd gotten used to being around people and found that I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, I hate it. I love being um, visible. I've finally gotten to a point where I'm like, I want people to look at me. Well, okay, we'll be honest. I've always been kind of like that, but in a gendered way. <laughs> in a gendered way. I want people to look at me. It's, oh, I wanted, I was... And, like, people were finally seeing me. People were using my name. People were addressing me properly like there were times when straight up i would just go down to the bar 
and like order some mozzarella sticks or something and just sit there for the whole purpose of just like the fact that I knew the bartender was going to be very like folksy and nice. gender me. Nice. Like, um, yeah, I know we train them not to do that, but gosh, it gives yeah. me a fix. But like that went away all of a sudden. And so it's just me in my apartment alone. And when that social validity went away, when like people stopped seeing me and things went back to like, yeah, online, like I can see you, you're a woman or whatever. Like that's what your name looks like. Boy, that was brutal to adjust to. And it still is like, I'm still in a way weird place because of it, but also like the laser thing. So like, here I am, I'm isolated from all of my social benefits and like people aren't looking at me my cute clothes are for nobody like i'm dressing up for yeah. my own benefit that's been really interesting dressing up for your own benefit i wanted to digress on that quickly mm-hmm. this has been super useful for me picking apart things i'm doing with my body due to social dysphoria and things i'm doing with my body due to body dysphoria because mm-hmm. like before this i shaved and i put on makeup every day Mm-hmm. And that was without fail. It took like a half hour or more every day. I do this because otherwise I can't. Like, mm-hmm. I have to shave every day. My hair goes too yeah. quickly. And I was doing that. And that was fine. I didn't really notice it. And then as soon as quarantine happened, I stopped. And then mm-hmm. a couple of weeks in, I started again. Not every day, but every few days I'll, I'll shave and I'll put on makeup. And it's just really fascinating for me to see like how those pressures, because it's so mm-hmm. weird to have a period of time this long to sort of pick apart things because basically just all social stuff has been pulled away mm-hmm. i mean i've definitely noticed the like and this is one of those things that like i try to communicate to people but they don't get it like i that's that's not right some people do get it like um and for some people the thing i say here is actually really helpful which is like i radiate a feminine energy <laughs> i am a woman that energy is something that comes out of me. And so, like, what I have found is that, like, I was using social outlets as a place for that to go and for me to get feedback about it. But, like, even in my own time, even alone, like, I'm way... Like, the things I'm doing are, like, very feminine, stereotypically (laughs) self-care. There's been a lot of bubble baths and wine and rom-coms and um like dancing around in dresses and such a nice feeling you know listening to 80s synth pop and like you know just like dancing around my apartment in like a bra for no other reason than just like i need that energy to go somewhere so like leap and but like that i'm not doing those things to validate me i'm doing those things because like i want to express that and i need to like i I, like it's i want to express this energy that i have about me and so yeah. that's how I put it out now. Whereas before, I'm like, I'm going to put on makeup and a dress and I'm going to go to the bar. Yeah. I love seeing the memes where it's like, oh, people talking about, oh, women haven't worn bras in a month now. What are you talking about? And it's like, I'm not a woman, but I'm wearing a bra. And it's sort of, and I feel like that's probably a pretty common trans response. It's like, I worked hard for these boobs. I want, I want to like. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't wear mine very much. And like, sometimes I'll do it because I like the appearance and yeah. like, it makes me feel good. You know, like I have some, bra- like, it's not just like any bra. I'm putting yes. on one of my pretty yeah. ones. You know, like, I'm not just like putting on my nude colored, you know, airy bra that I wear under whatever. I'm putting on like the lacy thing that makes me feel confident. But like, <laughs> it is, it's really funny. Like, 
I do still put one on occasionally. I'll do it if I'm doing a live stream or if I know I'm going to be on camera. Yeah. Naturally. I mean, I do that um, even for this and I'm not on camera. I just, it mm -hmm. feels right. It's a good ritual. It's like makes you feel yes. ready to go. And I think, I think that's common for a lot of women, which is just like, or like feminine or oriented yeah. people in general, which is like, no, I'm going to put this on because like, that's part of my ritual that I do when I'm getting ready for something. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, it has been weird, because there have been questions in my head, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It's such a weird place to be in, for sure. Yeah. But, like, I don't question it. Like, you know, I try very hard to, like, I, I end up with a lot of, like, gardening metaphors. <laughs> Plants are nice. But I'm like, a flower's gonna bloom. Regardless, like, I'm still doing the thing that is in my nature yeah. to do. My environment is forcing me to express that differently. Like, you know, dandelion grows through <laughs> concrete. I want to be you the know, dandelion. I like I like that. Uh, vigorous and tough, tenacious, even. Um. Yeah. Oh, well played. <laughs> hey, I chose my name with intent. My mommy didn't pick it out for me. <laughs> yeah, but gosh, the and like the worst part was having honestly the most dysphoric part was when I got sick. Yes. Because I couldn't do self care. Like literally, I could not stand long enough to take a shower, but maybe once every yeah. few days. Just for any listeners, and Evie had coronavirus. It was brutal. And like, so what, like that reduced me even more to like, I'm a person who sits in a bed and sometimes her computer chair. Yeah. And like my, it, like my cough made me so dysphoric. I remember. Uh, because like, yeah, if I can like, if I can think about it, I can sort of like cough in a more feminine range. <laughs> I guess you would say one that reads a little differently, but like there was no, there was there, that would have been impossible. I was barely able to breathe, let alone focus attention into that kind of thing. That was, I mean, I was like, my gender identity went away because like, I was just a body, but like, I was a very dysphoric body. Um, during Sometimes that I time. like to just be a body, but I don't think that particular way of reaching yeah. it would be particularly pleasant. Um, yeah. No, I, I can't do the just a body thing because like it took me too much work to get my humanity <laughs> so like the body thing is like that's a really uncomfortable place for me to be and really like that brings up a lot of trauma yeah so like being in that spot for as long as i was and to be reduced that way had some like real impacts on my mental health and i was having nightmares all the time yeah it was awful never yeah. don't want to do it again yeah i mean I know, I was talking to you, I mean, we've become much closer friends, I think, through this than we mm -hmm. probably ever would have in another situation. Yeah. I mean, I'm calling you a friend. I didn't call you a friend at the beginning of this. It was like, oh yeah, you're a person that mm -hmm. I know, but like, I don't really know you that well. Yeah. And then like, just interacting with you as, like through, through quarantine and then through your recovery on this, I've just interacted with you so much more. And I mean, that's, in a sense, that's how people become friends, you know, just... The more you talk with yeah, someone, you either yeah, you either you either make a choice not to, or you're friends now. <laughs> sort of. But yeah, I. It's it's a strange place, and it's it's weird for everyone. And I have a lot of empathy for the people who had their surgeries canceled. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say my laser situation exists on that no. scale, but gosh, the experience of having hope. And like having a deadline and having like, no, this is finally yeah. happening. And then to have that yoinked out from under you, that has to be just absolutely yeah. brutal. 
And like, I don't want to downplay anybody's experiences with that because like, holy moly, I just think. I mean, you have the perspective here from the coronavirus side. Like this is, this is Mm -hmm. what we as a society have decided to prioritize. And I think personally, I mean, we have to. I mean, I think it was the right call. Yeah. I mean, it's the only call. (laughs) Yeah. Because like, I mean, there's a version of this where like, without the media that we have, without the ability to share information that we have, though, like, everybody would have been out and about and doing stuff, and it would have just spread, and it would have been incredibly brutal. I think I think that actually helps, that, that contributes to the negative feelings that some, some trans people are having, because it's like, it's like, not only do I feel bad because I don't get to do this thing, but I feel bad that I feel bad about it. It's like, people are dying, mm-hmm. what right do I have? Or, people are dying right now, even if I'm gonna die because of this like people are every every person there is like i get it i Mm -hmm. i mean this sucks unbelievably yeah but i also it's like i understand this is the right choice i just hate it Mm -hmm. i don't know it's like yeah it's a tough topic and like i you can't invalidate trans people's feelings about this you can't be like no No. that's wrong but like you can invalidate or not invalidate you can be like that thing you're saying that you want to have happen, like, you understand there's a real human yeah. cost to that, right? But the thing is, I don't, like, I don't think I've seen a lot of people, very, very few people have said, I think that I should be able to get this. Mostly it's mm-hmm. been people... I've only... I've talked to a couple. Yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of those... A, a lot of that also is just, like, initial responses, and then mm-hmm. there's very, very small percentage, way smaller than the number of people breaking quarantine for shit, like, haircuts and stuff like that. Like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, media blow-ups are what they are. Yeah. And, like, I... And I think this is... You know, I can kind of circle back here a little bit, too, which is just, like, a lot of people need to like expel their bad ideas in a safe space before they can like make room for new ones that makes sense Um, and that's true for cisgender people it's true for trans medicalists it's true for like trans that i've been talking to it's true for people who are processing their feelings about all of this which is just like they need a place to just like yell their bad ideas into the ether and then like then they have room to hear and so, like, I'm happy to provide that space. And, like, a lot of trans people who have been suffering through this kind of rubber duck me in that way. Yeah. And that's been a lot. But I'm grateful for the opportunity yeah. to do it. So Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But it has given me perspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a weird place because there are these difficulties with it. And the digital nature, like, we were, we as a society are getting used to having a large portion of our existence be a cyberspace existence be outside of meat space Mm -hmm. but getting suddenly forced into almost everything is this unless you are literally putting your life on the line because the people who aren't Mm -hmm. shoved into the cyber like this only cyberspace only they're the people who are in serious danger and likely aren't having Mm -hmm. philosophical conversations on podcasts about it but are trying not Mm -hmm. to die on a regular basis I mean, my fiance is still working. She does, she's veterinarian and like she still works in the office and they've completely changed how the vet practice works. But like, it's still Mm -hmm. medical care. Like there are still pets that'll die if they don't get treatment. It's, Mm -hmm. she has to interact with people. And I mean, they're they're restricting that interaction as much as possible, but ultimately like you can't treat Mm -hmm. someone without touching the pet. And so there's that risk there. And Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know. It's, it's scary, but 
Okay, so we've talked a lot about negative aspects, and I do want to talk a bit about digital dead naming, actually. But then I want to move on to okay. sort of uh, positive aspects. So the weirdest thing I think that I've noticed from all of this, like from a trans perspective, it's not the worst thing, but every email that I was getting was like, this is how we're dealing with the coronavirus, dear dead name. Uh -huh. And it's just like, oh... I am now seeing all of the different accounts that I once created that now exist as a person who is not me. Yeah. And that's maddeningly frustrating mm -hmm. just because it's this continual drip and it's, it's like playing whack-a-mole with trauma. And I don't even have that much trauma around mm -hmm. my dead name. So I can't imagine what that's like for people with more, but like I got, Mm. At work, there was something. Uh, we have a bunch of different digital things, and at work, there was one that came up that was that showed a dead name. I'm like, I don't even know why my name was on this. It's this freaking search engine that we have for our internal applications, and my name shows up in the mm. corner, and I have no idea why. Like, it's not user dependent, but my my dead name was up in the corner, and I just sat there for like five minutes, being like, okay, now I can function again, mm. just because I wasn't expecting to get hit by it. It's one thing where I'm like, okay, I'm going into a space and I know I'm going to get dead named. I get myself ready for it. Boom. There. I'm ready. But then getting blindsided by a dead name that like isn't even malicious. There's no one I can... I mean, yes, there are people I can go to to correct it being like, hey, this application needs this. But nobody nobody made some choice to screw it up. Because I told, like, I've told everyone, at this point, I'm out in all aspects of my life. Everyone either hasn't spoken to me since then, or if they have, knows that I'm trans. Yeah. I'm, and because of that, I'm getting to the point where hearing my dead name now is something I don't get every day. And it feels weird when I see it. And it makes me very uncomfortable in ways that it didn't used to. And the digital dead mm -hmm. naming part of it, it's like nobody did this. Like, this is the name I told this thing when I created it two years ago or four years ago or ten years ago. It and matter. it's like, nobody nobody screwed up, and yet I'm still getting mm -hmm. hit by this. And it's, I don't know, it's just it's just a thing. Mm -hmm. And it's it's weird. And a lot of things I've just unsubscribed from because, like, I didn't need them anyways. But it's, it's still such a weird place to be in to, like, figure that out. And because of where we are, we're seeing all that mm -hmm. digital stuff. Yeah, I, um... I mean, like, my life is online because yeah. <laughs> of yeah. my work. And so a lot of my work revolves around social media, Facebook, and integrating people's websites with mm -hmm. those, yada, yada, yada. And, like, a lot of my servers that I run have built into them some variant of my dead name, which is fortunately not broadcast yeah. anyone. Like, those are visible to me, and it sucks. Yeah. I think the... I've been dead named during this entire time, like, one time that really got to me. And it was from a client yeah. who knew better. And I don't know if they thought they were being considerate because it was a chain, like a group email that had like oh, I hate those. 20 people I hate on it. Those. So like, there's like 20 people on this email, some of whom are college professors of mine that get this email with a dead name on it. So like, I'm replying back to this email with a dead name under my name, under my real name, and also having to correct this person. Yeah. No, I don't use that name that hasn't been my name legally for months yeah please stop and like that's a weird look weird yeah. moment to have it reminds me a work a work customer sent in an email mm -hmm. and the way our work sets up is like i just get a username and then like i send an email out to that username and then sure. emails come back in and they get logged but you typically the signature gets cut out 
of the of our logs because it's the same signature every time generally but i mean i still get the email the signature and i noticed it's like oh this name's different and so i reached out and and I was happy to like, and I got that change, but it's, it's fascinating. Cause like, I think I noticed it cause I look for that. Cause I'm chance. Like that's, that's what I look for. I don't know if someone else would have noticed. And that was, it was interesting to see. In a lot of cases with my work, because it's so digital and email based, like people, honestly, I just started telling people I just took over for my dead name <laughs> and it's fine. I'm like, yeah, that's actually, you're not talking to that person. You're talking to me now. Sometimes that isn't great because people see themselves as going from talking to a quote unquote man yeah. to talking to a quote unquote woman. And the difference in how they treat me is real story. Oh yeah. I've, I've heard enough stories about people just changing names on emails to let alone yeah that's rough that's mm -hmm. yeah it gets to be a lot and especially since my like people tell me my voice passes over the phone so like it does yeah so like i get a lot of it over the phone now from people who like who have spoken to me and i'm like no we've talked before like please stop <laughs> but yeah i mean it's brutal and like i do have i have a really weird relationship with my dead name i'm extremely protective of it even though it's easy to find it's not an issue of like visibility or trauma it's about mm. control when i get an email from a thing i filled out that has my dead name on it that's inconvenient mm -hmm. and it frustrates me when somebody else uses my dead name that moves past an inconvenient frustration yes. because that's somebody taking control from me and i'm very very sensitive yeah. to that i mean one thing i always harp back on and i think you've seen me use these words before but the most important thing the the most biggest underlying problem that trans people have that we want fixed is control over the narrative of our own gender of our own mm -hmm. bodies because that control is taken from us at every step from birth until we mm -hmm. tear it back through medical processes through legal shenanigans and like all of that we all of that is just about getting back this control i mean it's that's not necessarily how we all conceptualize it. There are other aspects of it. But the reason it's hard is because someone has taken this control of our narrative and run away with it. And we need to get it back. And that's so hard. Mm -hmm. it's really, I agree with that. Because like, and, and I think for, it reminds me of what is that movie? It's, it's a very common meme now, which is like one person says like, oh yeah, I'm getting paid this much. And the next person is like, you're getting paid how much? <laughs> you're getting paid. <laughs> and, then they, and it ends with like, you're getting paid. And like, it's kind of funny because like there's like this weird cascade that happens where men are like the first no. in that order who are like i'm having this problem and then like cisgender women next down the line are like um excuse me um like concerning identity like you know for okay like cisgender binary men are just like yeah like i'm really frustrated because like who can i hug now <laughs> and like you know what i mean like that kind of narrative and then cisgender women are like um so like you're getting bodily autonomy and that's bad and then like it moves down to like me the binary trans person who's like wait y'all got control over this in the first place <laughs> yeah like, yeah i think i think a lot of privileges work like that where you've got sort of these mm -hmm. stacking intersections and it's it's a mess it's brutal mm -hmm. okay so that was negative i want to talk a bit a bit about the positives of this whole situation there aren't many and people are dying and i don't want to like negate that but also it helps me when i get up in the morning to realize that i can try and make a silver lining out of a shitty storm cloud that's like dropping like mm -hmm. a plague uh -huh. and i know a lot of people have taken an opportunity 
this opportunity to come out at work because they now have several months period where they can adjust their appearance and their body through like hormones and stuff like that before they have to see anyone in person again and doing like voice training and stuff like that so that they can do that switch and i just think that's really good i mean that's really interesting people getting what they can out of a bad situation and getting opportunities that they wouldn't necessarily have had I think if you're a person who is like magically in the window of like, I am within my first like three months of hormone treatment, or like you're in that, like you're in that space, then this was actually a really interesting thing that happened because like, it's like getting to skip the worst parts of your early puberty. Like, yeah. point blank, like, okay. I mean, when I was first, like when I was in my like four to six month phase, like, it had to be told to me by a coworker that I should probably start wearing a bra. <laughs> yeah, I had started before. I mean, I I was wearing like a tank rather than a bra. But yeah, I had started because like dysphoria reasons rather than anything else. But it's really funny. Like I am so unconventional in terms of like binary trans women in this way, which is like pre-transition women's clothing, or I should say, clothing that is marketed to women. Let me go that way. Clothing that is marketed to women made me incredibly dysphoric. I can see that. Because, like, I would put it on and my body was wrong. And, like, the clothing highlighted every way my body was wrong. So, like, it would taper in at the waist, but my body did not. Or, you know, like, oh, there are these cups on this bra, but it's empty. Things like that, where it's like, this did nothing for me. So, like, my transition was unusual in the way that I wasn't somebody that, like, dressed a lot before yeah. transition. But also, like, my girlfriend had to be the one to, like buy me my first bras because I was not willing to like cross mm -hmm. that line because if I did it too soon it was really gonna upset me and so there's been a lot of cases where like I would come home and there would just be like dresses Aww. here where like like she would come into my apartment while I was gone and just like put clothes here like no you need Aww. these now um so I was really fortunate to have that guidance I love her so much yeah she's adorable um, my fiance and I go and she's, had done shopping together but I'm like I've been there but like that's that's adorable yeah so there was a lot of like that and like I'm really grateful for people who get to skip that moment yeah where it's like nah nah hun like you need to start wearing a bra customers are starting to look at your chest awkward oh my god the first time I noticed a customer doing that to me because like I have, I have trauma oh yeah and part of that is that I'm very, very, very hyper aware of what people are looking at. I'm always watching them. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't turn it off. I'm, I'm just very hyper vigilant. And like, I could see people's eyes start moving over me differently. And like, it was weird and really like alienating and unnerving. Um, and kind of validating. Yeah. But like, it was awkward to have to have the talk. Like, no, you need to put something on because like your nips are showing through your shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mainly started wearing stuff because I kept knocking into things. Or like accidentally oh my slapping my boob with my arm as I like I'd put it down. It's like, wait, why is there something there? Oh right. <laughs> when was your first door frame? I'm not sure I've run into a door frame yet, but Oh my god, I've done it so many times. I, I have really broad shoulders. Oh yeah. I was I was doing measurements the other day and I was like, I was trying to find, we were doing this online with my support group. We were doing this online shopping trip and it was great. I bought socks. I nearly bought garters partly because of like the, you know, the, the lace, you know, oh, this will make me feel super feminine, but I nearly bought some stuff, but I was looking at these dresses and I was trying to figure out what size I wanted. And I was like, hmm, well, my hips are a size like 
large, and my waist is a size small, and my bust is a size double extra large, and my shoulders aren't in the chart. <laughs> and it's like, okay, great. And it's like, let's look at what this material is to figure out how much stretch there's going to be. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to go with the double extra large because my shoulders will deal. And it's just the weirdest, it's the weirdest thing. See, I'm very blessed in clothes shopping, though. Like, my shoulders are a little broad. Like, slightly. Like, I'm I'm barely outside of, like, you know when you order from, like, Dress Lily or these other places that are, like... <laughs> Yeah, where it's like the sizing is like very petite when it's petite. So like when I order from places like that, sometimes my shoulders can come off like one inch outside of like the size that I want. And I usually just buy from Mm -hmm. my waistline because like I'll make the rest work. But like I'm really, really, really super blessed RE physicality because like I'm five foot eight tall. I have not too broad shoulders, my rib cage isn't too wide, my waistline tapers. Like, now clothes fit me pretty great. <laughs> so, like, I, this is one of those areas where I feel, like, mm, guilty a little <laughs> bit for my biology. Because I'm, like, so many of, like, these trans women and non-binary folk that I know have so many problems yeah. with buying clothes. And I can, I can go buy off the rack real comfortably. Yeah, I mean, that said... A, you don't need to feel guilty for lucking out in at least a small way for once, because you've struggled enough. Don't worry about it. Uh, and but B, I think that's that's true of a lot of people uh, not really fitting. I was actually the whole measuring myself got into the part where mm-hmm. I was just like, what body shape am I? What body shape might I be a year from now on hormones? Because like mm-hmm. bust growth continues five to seven years. Like that's. I mean, not at the same pace. Are you yeah. Kidding? Yeah. Five to seven. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. You still got more to go, don't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I'm 15 months in and I'm a 34B. Yeah. So. I haven't sized mine yet. I have an extremely broad chest, just generally. So I'm in this weird state where, like, my breasts might be larger or of equivalent size to like my fiance's right now, but they look smaller on my chest because like my yeah. chest is really broad. But it also means that like I just buy like really big sports bras. Like I don't really have any shaped bras because they don't mm-hmm. really make them for my size yet. But I can just wear like a really big mm-hmm. sports bra and it's fine because like it's been yeah, it's yeah. the length and stuff. Um, but I imagine that'll be more difficult. But I was just I was just looking at it because like I'm also I'm losing weight. I've I've been I have struggled with my weight a lot in my life. And after quarantine started, mm-hmm. and partly to do that, partly due to like just coming out, I've stress eating a lot less. So like I'm in better mm-hmm. control of what's going into my body than I've been at any point in my life, and that's largely because I'm have you know, started to accept myself as who I am in ways that I didn't realize I wasn't. So that's really mm-hmm. good. But it also means that my body is changing in all different directions all at once because hormones are doing things and then yeah. my weight's changing. And I'm like, okay, so right now I'm a rectangle, but <laughs> two inches from now, okay. I will be an hourglass. And what does that mean? <laughs> like, what is that? Yeah. Like, but my yeah. point was that I was looking into all these different shapes and stuff and just sort of thinking. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of like fashion is designed for an hourglass shape that's like 10% of women or something like that. Yeah. And even with that, it's like a 36, 24, 36 or whatever. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, there's a decent chance I end up 
as an hourglass sometime down the road, which would be a 43, 32, 43 type thing. And I'm just like, that would be, it's a completely different size and scale and everything's different. Because the thing is like, I'm looking, I generally look at plus size clothing because of my body plan. And like, but I don't have the body of a typical plus size, like cis woman. I have a body that's like mm-hmm. halfway between a dude and a, a cis woman. And then it's, it's like, it's this weird place that I'm in body-wise. And then of course I've got like 19 inch shoulders, which I'm also 5'8". So that's broad. Dressed mm-hmm. <laughs> is like, oh yes, 16 inch shoulders are about right for you. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> are they though? Well, it depends. I'm not really good at measuring myself. I think that's the dysmorphia yeah. talking. Like I'll try to take a measurement and then like somebody will professionally take it and definitely not get the number I got. So I might have 16 yeah, shoulders. I should, I should I get, once this is over, I should get proper measurements done. <laughs> Not that they will be the same like three months later, but just as, a, as an aside, mm-hmm. let's see how that goes. Well, that was like a thing I wanted to mention because like that experience you're having right now is like, I'm going to find a way to like, there's, so when I first went to the doctor, the doctor, you know, of course they check on your family history because like estrogen and yeah. feminizing hormones can increase your risk for stroke, um, heart disease, yeah. so on and so on. And I went in knowing that and prepared to talk about it. And, like, there is a history of stroke in my family. There is a history of heart disease. My dad has hypertension. Mm-hmm. Like, like diabetes runs in my family. So, like, these are all things that needed to be yeah. brought up. And, like, the doctor was very clear, and no doctor had ever said this to me, that, like, I needed to lose some weight. That I was sitting kind of at the upper end of the BMI chart for, for my size, for my frame. And, like, I was spiteful about that. But, yeah, like, because I mean, nobody had ever told yeah, me that. Weird, and so, It's a weird thing, because, like, the BMI chart isn't, imperfect tool but they're also not just Mm -hmm. looking at that like they're like you can use this but when they tell someone that like when the doctor's like they're looking at you more like what's the word i'm like for wholesale is the Mm -hmm. wrong word uh holistically yeah that's it yeah so like the doctor was like oh you need to drop some pounds i was like fine then (laughs) so like i did so like at the exact same times as i started hormones i also started dieting like literally same day i like went home with my hormones and also like started dieting and like i dropped 63 pounds as my body was also starting to like do all of these changes so there was like this weird race to like redistribute fat that i was using yeah i'm Um, i'm doing the same thing with that weird redistribution it's uh, bizarre weird and somehow like somehow there's still like fat accumulation happening on my body that do not understand like we have talked about the dong like my what should not exist on my frame? I don't know how this is real. It's real wild. Diet, like dieting and starting hormones at the same time, is just a wild experience. And like learning my clothing sizes, I'm starting to learn to navigate women's clothing sizes. It's, but gosh, it's a something. It's 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 a trap. It is. It is. I'm starting to learn yeah. the rules. It's madness. I miss I miss clothing that was measured in inches. <laughs> yeah like i don't understand like just tell me the inch measurements like there's no reason for you to do this weird sizing like please like why am i doing a conversion to find out my band size like why don't you just put it in inches it's wild it's totally wild mm-hmm. and like kira's been a real angel about helping me mm-hmm. navigate that because like fortunately fortunately what i've learned is that kira and i basically wear the exact same size and stuff that would be useful so the only thing <laughs> It is really useful. The only concern I have is length because I'm taller than her. So yeah. like, 
some of the dresses that maybe she's like, oh, this looks really good on me. It'll look good on you. I could not reasonably wear. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. Like, we've had that happen a couple of times where she's like, oh, I really like this dress. And I'm like, oh, I, I like it too. For a night in. Like, <laughs> if I'm not going anywhere, this is lovely. Or with leggings or something. I don't know. But like they're like mini skirt sizes on me where they're like, you know, mid-thigh on yeah. her. I've been kind of embracing a more uh, risque when I'm Good not at work. You. I just, I'm trying to take control of my body and I'm succeeding, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it. And it's just like, you know, I'm going to do this. This is my choice and I'm going to do it because I want to, because I'm fucking hot. <laughs> Even if it's not true, I'm going to make it true. And that's, yeah, I yeah, feel that. that's been yeah. helpful to me. I've, I've. Really liked it. The first, I mean, some of the first clothing items I bought, besides a few skirts, were Daisy Dukes. Mm -hmm. and, okay, yeah, you yeah, see, you and yeah. I was like, at first, I was like, oh, I'm not going to wear these very often. But they're the only thing here in this whole place that like I can find that I'm happy to try on, and I actually like kind of fit. But I actually wear them. I wear them more than I thought I was going to, and I kind of like it. And also, there's a fun thing where I can wear them like over leggings, like layering. I'm loving I'm, layering. Yeah, leggings under jeans is like, or jean anything, is like, it's a look. I actually yes. want to get a denim skirt so I can yes. have like my leggings under yeah. a denim skirt. But yeah, like what was it? What were you talking Oh yeah, like body reclamation stuff. Like that's been really yes. weird for me. Because I mean, we've talked about my <laughs> personal history probably more than I wanted to. But like the, the strangest thing is that like part of reclaiming my body has been not showing it, but also yeah. showing it. Where like, in the same breath as I'm, like, refusing to go out in certain kinds of clothing right now, like, I'm posting photographs of me on my website in lingerie. Yeah. Like, there's, like, a part of this whole process which is, like, this is mine and I can do what I want with it. Yes. And I'm still, like, really learning that. And so, like, I'm getting more comfortable, like, mixing and matching these things. But, like, the fascinating thing has been is, like, I'm. it doesn't feel like the same body that a lot of that bad stuff happened to. And so, like, I'm really negotiating that, too. And so it's been wild yeah. to, like... And, and like, then there's the other thing, which is, like, nobody wants to see the body on a cisgender man. Let's be... There's a like, few. When I, well, when I say nobody, yeah. what I mean is, like... It's not... The male form, the, like, the cisgender... The body of cisgender men is, like, a joke or something to be derided the, I mean, in a lot of... I think there's a couple exceptions with like athletes and stuff and certain movie actors, but I think across the board, for the most part, that's accurate. Yeah, yeah but unless you're built like a yeah. machine, yeah. like there's a certain amount of leeway that people get for like a dad bod, but like in general, like the male form is treated as something relatively grotesque. And so I, I had to process like a lot of feelings about that, especially as I was transitioning and like people wanted to see my body, which was weird to me. Because like before people were willing to accept that they saw my body, yeah. like if I was sleeping with them or whatever, but they probably weren't like super into it. And now it's like, no, I want you to take your clothing off. Um, and I'm like, okay, like yeah. this is new. And I think, I think it's partly, it's like, I think a lot of women's bodies are also, cis women bodies are also... I mean, trans women as well, but are are seen as grotesque, but they're seen as grotesque in comparison to something else. Like, it's like, this is failing to be this sexualized ob object body mm -hmm. that we want. Like, mm -hmm. we want to see your body and we want it to look like this. Whereas men, it's, we don't want to see your body unless it looks like this. 
and yeah yeah like because like the problem is is like and this is gonna sound real full of myself right now and i don't mean for it to my body is much closer to that like no this is the thing Mm -hmm. i want to see that people have than it ever was but like so that's it's weird how i'm getting like all of this like sexual energy out of nowhere and i'm having to like learn to process that Mm -hmm. At the same time as like I'm navigating like, oh yeah, I'm trying to like get my, I'm trying to gain control of this body and I'm finding out that like the conversation about my body has changed entirely and I don't have control over that. Yeah. Like that photograph I posted that I felt was very body, body positive. I already know for a fact, I've already like had it happen that like people from chaser groups have contacted me about that photograph because it wound up in their group. Yeah. And like, I'm not contacting no. me in a friendly way. And like that, I was like, I knew that was going to happen and I did it anyway. And I guess that's part of the whole process. I don't know. Like people talk about our bodies a lot, but like the fetishization is a lot. Yeah. Maybe it's just cause like I've been in a relationship for the last 10 years, but not really been looking mm-hmm. and, and stuff, but, Fair. but, but like, I feel kind of, I feel left out cause I'm an asshole and I want to like get hate mail for being an asshole and like just to be like yeah yeah that's right hate me i'm still here but like i can't get that spiteful you know we were talking about this before i can do all through things mm-hmm. through spite which strengthens me and like i try to live that sometimes because sometimes spite's all you got but i'm not mm-hmm. i don't i don't understand what i'm doing wrong like why don't i get more hate mail of course i'm gonna put this on and then i'm still not gonna get any <laughs> because they saw try being nice to people it works real what? great for me try being yeah try being kind oh but that's hard <laughs> yeah well, yeah i feel like i'm like deliberately baiting it's like i i have this theory that people only yell at people they think they can influence and so a lot of people i think have the mistaken impression of me that i am in some way soft or um malleable or weak-minded or prone to offense and so, like, I, I really think people try to, I don't know where they get that energy from, because, like, I'd like to think I'm pretty even keel, but, like, I, I think people message me precisely because they think they're going to get a rise out of me. Whereas, like, if somebody's mad, it's like, well, what's the point? Yeah. So, yeah, try it. Try being kind to people for a week and see how This is reverse psychology. Me. You're, <laughs> this is a trick. You just don't want me to start shit for another week. <laughs> Yeah, try it for another week after this one. <laughs> All right. I was like, you want right. to see it and like do this on the Discord okay. too. Let's see what happens. Well, I think I promised you last week that I wouldn't start shit for a week about this mm-hmm. time on Monday, which means actually yeah, let me fun. check. You and Kobe I set, uh, No, I haven't gotten my start shit. I, I set an alarm to start shit, but I do have some shit I need to start in the group. So let's let's okay. tie this up. Okay. So anything you want, I'm gonna put links into the actual release for this Mm -hmm. but go ahead show me whatever you want whatever you want people to look at who listen to this if they want to reach out to you if there's anything that you produce that you're like trying to sell anything like that or if you there's just groups that you want let me know oh okay i mean the number one thing is going to be the sounds like transedu.com website I've worked hard on that, and I'm proud of it. It's a good website. Yeah, and, like, I've got more features coming up. I just need to actually find time to do them. And, of course, from there, you can get to the Discord, the Facebook group, and the Facebook page, and and more soon. There's my personal website, evwinters.com. That's just where Mm -hmm. my writing lives. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm, I'm a little partial to it. I don't think I have anything else that's like promotion worthy no. right now. Yeah. I think I would very much like to invite people. I know that a lot of people come to the groups and they lurk for a while. And I, I get that. Like you're in a new space and they need to feel safe before mm-hmm. they talk. But I do want to invite anybody who's like in spaces with me to just know that my DMs are open. And I'm going to I'm gonna talk to them and, and we're going to have a chat about whatever they want. As long as like my bandwidth permits. But like, I am open. I want people to message me and ask questions or reach out for help. So yeah, I definitely want to make a note about that. You can link directly in my Facebook profile if you want for that. I'm in a lot of those groups too. And anyone listening, my PMs are also usually open. Although if you're a cis person and you just want to yell at me, have fun. (laughs) Yeah, send me hate mail. I want to, I want to do an episode where I just read hate mail. I think that'd be fun. Oh, I could probably do that. All right. Well, thank you for coming. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It has been a lot of fun. I needed a break, too, so this has been good. All right. All right. I'm going to hang this up now. All right. Okay, bye. What's in it, Gender is a podcast created, edited, and operated by T. Granger. The opinions expressed within are those only of the speakers. Guests of the show have given permission for T. Granger to edit, repackage, and republish this content. Find What's in a Gender online at whatsinagender.com, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash whatsinagender, on Twitter at at whatsinagender, or on Discord at discord.gg forward slash qx6jw78. That's uppercase Q and lowercase everything else. If you would like to offer financial support out of the generosity of your heart, or because you'd like access to exclusive Discord content, including a voice channel with the creators of this content, and early or bonus tracks, go to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash what's in agenda. If you have comments or questions, email me at podcast at what's in Thank you for listening. What's in Agenda? Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.